What's up, my friends? Welcome back to the Pilgrimage Podcast. My name is Joshua Luke Smith, and this is a space for the curious, creative, contemplative souls. It is good to be together again. I'm so grateful for everyone listening right now, whether you are, maybe you're driving home for Christmas. Maybe you are going to your work. Maybe you are sat at home, wherever you are. I'm grateful that you're spending some time. We've been on an amazing journey over these last few weeks, and we're going to be moving on to the second to last episode. I'm dropping two episodes this week, Christmas week, for you guys as we wrap up this series. Before we get on to that, you can get more involved in the pilgrimage community, thepilgrimage.co. Go online and uh, you can sign up to both support this podcast, support the work I'm doing through the pilgrimage, and also receive a deeper um, belonging to what we're doing, a wider belonging to this project and the conversations we're having on here. Uh, I got some very exciting plans for 2021 uh, in how we're going to spend more time together and be more connected and interactive. So if you want to get involved, thepilgrimage.co. You can follow us at thepilgrimage.co on Instagram as well. I'm so grateful for everyone who signed up, everyone who supports. This is a this is a podcast from the people for the people. No sponsors, nothing like that. And I just love the conversations that we get to have on here. So thank you to everyone who signed up. Thank you. And without further ado, this is episode nine of the kingdom is yours. If you've been journeying with us, you know we've been spending the last nine weeks on this one passage of scripture from 2000 years ago. So in 2020, we've been leaning into wisdom, spiritual teaching from 2000 years ago. And I don't know about you guys, but for me, it has helped. (laughs) It has brought clarity, it's brought depth, it's brought meaning to what has been such a chaotic and traumatic year in many ways. And uh, we're nearing the end. These are the last two episodes. I'm doing them back to back. Um, so you have two in the same week. And because uh, really these these two episodes go together. They're one of the same in, in a sense. And um, if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. I mean, I would encourage you to go back and listen from the beginning. But if you're sticking around, pull up a chair, man. Welcome uh, for anyone who's joining us for the first time and you've stumbled across this podcast, maybe you found it through the music I make, however you got here. You know, this is a space where we talk about the spiritual life. And if the language of scriptures or Jesus or even God is off-putting to you, um, like it has been for me <laughs> in the past, I just I just ask you to, uh, to, to pull up a chair and just to join the conversation. I love studying the scriptures and I love meditating upon the words of Jesus because in Jesus I've discovered a true sense of humanity. Um, Jesus didn't come just to reveal what the divine looks like. There's a scripture that says Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus brings not only uh, image to God but he brings image to humanity. In Jesus we see ourselves In Jesus, we see the true sense of our humanity. Uh, The first man is Adam, which literally means first man. 
And Jesus is, in a sense, the second Adam, the, the, the rebirth of everything it means to be human and be here. And never more than in 2020 have we needed to analyze that and explore that. What does it mean to be human? What are we as humans capable of? And not just in external matters, not just in what we're able to innovate and do, but in internal matters. How do we how do we live our lives in such a way that our souls are healthy? And how do we live our lives in such a way that we don't experience every day in a very superficial surface manner, but we live with depth? That when we come to the end of our days, we were able to say, I was truly here. I lived a life that was present to each day. And Jesus in the Beatitudes is giving a manifesto for the abundant life. The life that is full and truly lived in a way which not only benefits self, but the whole world and creation around us. The Beatitudes are, if taken seriously, are the most potent, poetic and powerful words. They upturn everything. They throw everything on its head. They give you a whole new map, a whole new way of seeing the world. And this idea of the kingdom, and you can go back and listen to the episodes, but the kingdom is this bigger picture, this bigger ideal of what is possible. The kingdom is the, the, the life in which we live and flourish, and no one is unable to access the beauty of being loved, the wonder of being known. No one is kept away and we're able to carry and steward and minister this kingdom that Jesus brought. So the Beatitudes, I read them every week, but the Beatitudes, they go like this. And he opened his mouth and he taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. And blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be satisfied. And blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom, when the kingdom comes, when God's kingdom comes, our kingdom goes. When God's kingdom comes, our kingdom goes. Our kingdom of self-indulgence, of jealousy, of bitterness, of comparison, of egocentric ambition decreases as his kingdom of righteousness and peace and joy increases. The two kingdoms don't exist together. We have to allow ourselves to be made redundant of ego, to be full of the mystery and fulfillment that comes with belonging to Christ. And when Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom. He was saying, blessed are those who pay the ultimate price for believing everything I've said up until this point is true and truly worth pursuing and living out until the end of their days. I want to explore this topic, this idea, this phrase of persecution that Jesus used in a couple of different ways. 
there's a very literal sense to what Jesus is saying. The words that Jesus professed throughout his time on earth killed him. He was killed, and most of you know that, whether or not you had any kind of religious or spiritual upbringing, you've seen Jesus on the cross. That's how it ended. The cross was a, was a very common Roman torture device. If you disobeyed the law of Rome, you ended up on a, on a, on a, on a crucifix. You ended up being killed publicly in this humiliating and incredibly traumatic manner. Um, and nearly all of Jesus's followers, the people Jesus is speaking to as he's giving this sermon, nearly all of them died in either a similar or more horrific manner for following Jesus. Jesus, um, Jesus didn't bring a nice message. You know, Jesus didn't bring something that was palatable and something that just soothed people's um, temporary discomforts. Jesus brought a message that reordered the whole system at play, both spiritually, economically, sociologically. In every single way, Jesus's messages confronted anything that was in any way unjust. And intensely, when it came to spirituality, Jesus made it clear that God wants relationship with people. And so systems that had benefited from being in between people and God, who had benefited from being the mediator and middleman, were incredibly upset by this in, in, intensely inclusive um, message that Jesus brought. It ended up him with him being killed. He, he, he was killed for, for blasphemy. He was killed for announcing that within him, the full image of humanity and the full image of the divine both dwelt together. Jesus wasn't killed because he was just too nice. <laughs> Jesus was killed because he was disruptive. And he, he, uh, he brought together persecution and the righteous work because he knew that those who confront injustice often pay the ultimate price. If you upset the system that others benefit from, those who are in that privileged position will come after you, at least out of jealousy, but at worst because you're exposing a better way. And that was so defining of Jesus's time on earth. And to embrace Jesus's message, to embrace everything we've talked about over these last number of weeks, is to embrace a similar lifestyle where you can't just let things exist around you that cause one person to prosper at the expense of another. And not only that on a kind of sociological level, but on a very personal, emotional level, you've realized that there's a way of living where we live as if it's true that we are loved and that we belong. So when you see someone, and it could be yourself, when you experience life in a way where those two things don't, aren't lived out as if true, it's confronted. You have no, you have no grace for a life that is filled with the turmoil of insecurity and fear because in the kingdom that we've been talking about, fear doesn't exist. That's why the scriptures say that perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love doesn't ask, ask fear to leave politely. 
we talked about this last week, I think it was. I'm getting mixed up. But there's a scripture. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it was last week um, in Corinthians where, where, the, where the Apostle Paul says, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And what he's saying here is your body, your physical body is where God chooses to dwell. There is something about the actual body that you have, which is so, so sanctified, so valued by God that the divine dwells within you. And when that kingdom, the kingdom of God dwells within you, there is no space for any other kingdom. So I kind of view it almost like a landlord and squatters, you know, perfect love casts out fear because perfect love lives in you. So when there's fear in you, it's the landlord knocking on the door of your heart saying, it's time for you to leave fear. It's time for you to leave shame. It's time for you to leave self-hatred and condemnation. These two kingdoms can't live together. Where do you belong and who do you belong to? Which kingdom? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom. You will, you'll understand this more and more as you, as you pair together persecution and conviction where you pair together the response for standing in your conviction, standing in what you believe to be true, often renders persecution of some sort. It could be anything as, well, hey, let's start here. It could be as literal as what Jesus uh, experienced himself and his followers. I mean, literal, physical persecution. In, uh, in 2014, there was one country in the world that was ranked as extreme for its level of persecution of, of people who follow Jesus's teaching. In 2014, there was one country that was ranked as extreme. In 2020, there have been 11 countries that fall into that category, estimating that attacks, physical attacks on churches around the world have moved, has mo increased 500%, moving from about 1,800 to 9,500 in that space of time. So in, in real time, right now in 2020, people are being killed for believing in and following the teachings that we've been discussing openly and easily these last few weeks. So Jesus is speaking literally, but not all of us experience persecution in the way that Jesus experienced it, all his followers experienced it. That doesn't mean that this teaching and that this notion, this idea isn't for us. It is because if we stand in the conviction that there is a better way of living, then we're constantly going to confront the system at play. And that could be as simple as being with a friend and saying to them, you don't need to think like that anymore. You don't need to have those thoughts about yourself. There is a better way of living. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't just change because you say a few words. I understand that. But it doesn't remove the conviction that it doesn't have to be that way. Just because your mom lived like that and her mom before her, it doesn't mean you have to fall into the same trappings and the same, the same sense of um, lack and the same sense of fear and the same sense of shame. It doesn't have to be that way. People will persecute you for how you live, not out of a response of what you're doing, but of how it impacts what they're doing. 
you might have experienced it this year. Last week I spoke about um, the racial injustice that has come to light this year. You might have experienced it in that conversation where suddenly you become aware of something in our society you weren't aware of before. And you have this conviction that it needs to change. And so you've been educating yourself and you've been reading and having difficult conversations. And when you start having those conversations with people that haven't read what you've read, haven't gone on the journey that you've gone on, you've seen an adverse reaction from them. It's not inherently about what you're doing. It's about what you're doing and how it impacts what they feel or what they're doing. That's where the issue is. And let me turn it on its head. We are sometimes the ones who persecute others. When, when our security is low, when, when the bank account of our security is low, it doesn't take much for there to be a withdrawal that clears the bank balance and leaves us on empty. When the security balance within our souls, the level to which we feel secure is low, it doesn't take much for someone to clear the bank balance. Now, something that we've talked about this whole series, really around the first couple of episodes, is the idea of being empty and yet full. Empty of that which you need to maintain to feel validated. Empty of ego. And when we're empty of ego, we can be full of love, right? When we're empty of ego, we can be full of love. Love as we've talked about love, true love serves the other above the self. So when you are in love with someone, you, you put them higher than yourself. Jesus said, better, sorry, no man has, has better love than this, than to lay his life down for a friend, which is so profound because that's ultimately what Jesus went to do. When you have less ego, you have more room for love. And when you have more love in the bank account, it's very difficult for someone to take your security away because you've already let go of the things that once defined you as being secure or centered. You've let go of these things because you realize there is nothing other than being someone who lives in their own sense of belovedness and desire to love others. There is no other thing that is more securing than that simple reality day to day. I am loved. I am loved. Why? Because I am. What have you done? Nothing. Why are you loved then? I'm loved because that's what God is like. God is love. So when love casts out fear, it's God the true sense of God. We talked about this again. I think it was last week, you know, clearing the lens so that we can see God for who God is. There's nothing that you can take from me because I've already let go of anything that would secure me outside of the simplicity of being loved. That's why I've got nothing to lose and nothing to prove. That's why throughout the scriptures, Jesus continually calls us to this cycle of death and rebirth, dying to anything that would keep us from living as one fully defined by being beloved. Living a life where we're constantly letting go of anything, be it our gift, our talents, what we can and can't do for other people. 
letting go of these things so there's more space in us for the simplicity of someone who is simply loved and that's enough because of the music I make because of the podcast I have <laughs> no because I woke up this morning as one radically loved by God and if everything stopped that would still be the case I remember someone saying to me years ago Josh if the only purpose you had in life was to get one glass of water for one thirsty man would it be enough I said of course not of course it wouldn't be enough there's a lot more I want to do with my life than that they said that's of course of course there's more you want to do but when that becomes enough everything that you do do will be defined purely by love and not ego not a need to do it for some kind of recognition to say you know what all I was put here on earth to do was to get one glass of water for one thirsty man and anything outside of that won't add to the fact that I'm already deeply and immeasurably loved by God and this is why the message that Jesus brought is called the gospel which literally just means good news it's just good news because once we once we receive this once we live here it changes how we live once once we realize we already have what we've always wanted it doesn't change the fact that you live with purpose and a desire to express yourself it just doesn't define everything you do as an attempt to get something you don't already have and therefore it changes everything you do jesus said sorry paul said of the kingdom the kingdom is righteousness peace and joy so everything that you do is done with such joy and such peace for righteousness sake jesus said blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake we did this whole deep dive into righteousness earlier on this podcast about righteousness being the reordering of of society of people to the original blueprint plan of what God initially did when he designed us made him in our image righteousness this Hebrew idea of restoring someone back to the image of God righteousness and justice these paired um, ideals ways of living ways of viewing the world when you are doing something for the for the work of righteousness you are going against the current because the current the current of our culture quite plainly isn't one that is constantly seeking to restore every person back to their divine blueprint because what we've realized in this series is to do that we have to give up our rights and we have to give up our desire to be first you know jesus said uh the last will be first and when we go last and put someone else first we establish and reveal to them the worth and the value that they have so we're going against the current this is why i love salmon you've heard me talk about salmon on this podcast a number of times salmon are born they swim downstream they end up in the riverbed then they feel the evolutionary urge to swim back upstream and they swim past the jaws and the claws of grizzly bears smashing their bodies against the rocks until they find the stillness of the riverbed from where they came and then they reproduce and then they die so the whole process of a salmon finding its fulfillment is swimming upstream they're scarred by the journey 
they're scarred by the journey, but they know it's the only way to produce true new life. And that's so true for us. The work of righteousness to do something that is formed of conviction often in different ways leads to suffering. The message of Jesus in many ways is a message of suffering well, of acceptance around suffering. Again, we've talked about this on on the podcast in, in this series. Jesus was called the man of sorrows. He was acquainted with anguish. He knew what it was to suffer. He ultimately died a horrific and traumatic, torturous death. Suffering is akin to being alive here and now. And those who suffer well, and I'll break down more what I mean by that. Those who suffer well are those who have given up their right to not suffer. Those who have given up their right to not suffer. It are those who believe deep in their soul that suffering, even suffering unto death, produces something new. And you, you, you've met people in your life that have suffered well and in their suffering have become so deeply secure and so deeply measured and full of joy. Earlier this year, my wife, a few months before giving birth, went into hospital with excruciating pain. And uh, what became clear is she had this cyst in her body the size of a grapefruit pressing against where the baby was. And it just been in there and growing for weeks. And so she is in unlike measurable pain. I mean, she's on all these painkillers and nothing's even touching it. And there was this one night where we were sat in the hospital. She's lying on the bed just in so much anguish. And all through the night, this nurse, this, this lady kept coming in to just help care her and administer more pain relief and just do what they could. And this lady's name was Hope. And throughout the night, I just, I just remembered this ancient scripture in the book of Romans where, where Paul writes that suffering produces patience. The word used is, is often endurance, but it's patience, perseverance. Suffering produces patience. Patience or endurance produces character and character produces hope. And in this evening, this night, as I'm watching my wife suffer and this nurse coming in, ministering to her, I'm seeing the relationship of suffering and hope. How our suffering, without our suffering, there isn't a sense of hope. Because hope is the evidence that the worst case scenario doesn't define us. (laughs) And so without the worst case scenario, we don't have hope. So it depends how we approach the worst case scenario to whether or not we come out hopeful. If we approach it with a sense of this has the opportunity to cause something that is, that is dormant within me to come alive, then that experience, that situation, that relationship doesn't define us in a negative sense, but actually produces the character within us that is immovably hopeful. And what an idea for the end of 2020 that we've made it here. And perhaps the suffering that we've encountered this year has produced a perseverance within us. That means we're going into 2021, not fearful, but actually hopeful. We're not going in fearful, but we're going in hopeful. There's a, there's a phrase by 
Thomas Akempis, he said, when you come to such a degree of patience that tribulation or suffering is sweet for you, sweet to you, and for the love of God is savory and pleasant in your sight, then you may trust that it is well with you. You have found heaven on earth. When you come to such a degree of patience that tribulation is sweet to you, and for the love of God is savory and pleasant in your sight, then you may trust that it is well with you and you have found heaven on earth. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are those who have emptied themselves, so they are only full of love. There is nothing you can take from them. Your persecution of them won't rob them of their joy. They know they're doing the work of righteousness. They know they're standing for something greater than even their suffering. They will receive the kingdom. They will receive the inheritance of a life that isn't defined by fear or shame. It is only our egos. It's only our shallow self that resists this. Our truest self. Our truest self knows that even in suffering, we receive a deeper dependency on God and others. And as a result, com compassion, empathy, kindness. The only thing that burns in hell is self-will. <laughs> the only thing that burns in hell is ego. All things are burnt away by the refiner's fire and all that is left is this sense of being loved. That's who we've always been and the kingdom is the returning to the original blueprint that God created. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom. There is more in you than you realize, my friend. There is a deep well of security. There is a deep sense of belovedness within you. That with everything going on around you as difficult as it is, with people saying things about you that aren't true, with people having opinions about you which you wish you could correct but can't, just know there is something deeper than the ego that wants to respond and correct. There is a beloved within you. There is one who is so deeply loved, nothing could pull away from that ultimate identity. And so when someone takes a withdrawal from your security balance, you're able to say, it's all right, I can afford it. <laughs> it doesn't cost me that much. I can afford it because you're never going to take from me what truly defines me. I am one radically loved by God and every other self is an illusion. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven.